Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chillinois Podcast. In today's episode, I sit down with another legendary figure in cannabis history, Abdullah Saeed. If you're not familiar, Abdullah is a pioneer in cannabis media. If you're not on Patreon, then you're watching this episode of the Chillinois Podcast at least two weeks late. You can subscribe to us on Patreon for early access to episodes of the Chillinois Podcast. We release a new episode every Sunday, and it only costs $3 a month to join. Before I send you into this week's episode, I wanted to let you know that there is a link in the podcast description for this specific episode of the Chillinois Podcast. If you click on that link, it'll let you see the full show notes for the episode, and it'll let you see any links that we referenced during this episode. If you'd like to connect with Abdullah, I've thrown links to their social media handles and podcast in the show notes. Once again, today I'm sitting down with Abdullah Saeed. Abdullah, thank you so much for sitting down with me today. It's truly an honor. Yeah, absolutely. A pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah. So for folks that don't know you, you know, I figure most of my uh, audience knows you, but (laughs) can you introduce yourself for those who don't know who you are? Yeah, uh, my name is Abdullah Saeed. Uh, yeah, for, for the last little while, uh, I've been a cannabis themed, you know, uh, I, I like to say, you know, misunderstood substance documentary or unscripted film and TV maker, right? Uh, and, you know, it, it's definitely something that defined my career for a long time, a very close passion of mine. Uh, and it's what led me to do stuff like Bong Appetit, which is one of my better known uh, properties that I worked on, uh, weed it, uh, other things on vice. I'm no longer vice. I left quite a while ago actually, but you know, it's been really heartening to see how persistent a lot of the stuff that I made there was because, uh, you know, it came from a very honest place, uh, deep, deep down. I desire cannabis justice, you know, in, in the United States and in the world. Uh, and you know, uh, I, I hope that the work I've done as, you know, it's, as represented that well, but that's basically what people know me for. Uh, and I feel very blessed for that. Uh, yeah, that's me. Hell yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great introduction. We'll get into more about that, but I just wanted to show people where I first became aware of you, Abdullah, and you actually posted this picture yourself. Uh, <laughs> Um, I yeah. like this this picture personally. There's a few that you posted, but that that was my yeah. favorite one there. And uh, <laughs> you introduced me to rosin. So oh, no kidding. Yeah, you know th- this is actually a very interesting thing. Uh, I love rosin. It really is. You know, uh, my current favorite innovation in cannabis. I love how much cannabis concentrates have evolved in such a short period of time, and I've had a front row seat to it. And it really has just been a real pleasure of my career that has not necessarily been documented the same way. You know, I've certainly covered live rosin, uh, you know, production in the shows I've done. Also saying live rosin production, this sounds so sterile. It's actually like the most beautiful aromatic process ever. You know what I mean? It's like such a, uh, such a close experience of the plant. I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, dabbing live rosin as well i think that you capture elements of the plant that uh you know are so well preserved throughout the process that i don't know if we've ever had uh you know hash like this in human history because of the the technology that's involved right um so yeah i I think it's a really beautiful time to to be into cannabis concentrates um these days i pretty much only take dabs of live rosin um 
you know, I, my patterns of consumption are always changing, but right now that's like a really uh, front of mind thing. And I'm definitely hunting for the, uh, for the good rosin. Yeah. 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 And really quick, uh, for folks just that are tuning in and for some reason don't know what rosin is. Can you give me like a, a 10 second in a bottle? What is rosin for folks that don't know? Yeah. So rosin is pressed hash, non-solvent hash, right? So basically right. someone would make ice water hash, collect all of that, and then put that in a uh, press. And, you know, with a lot of pressure, it's going to squeeze out uh, the rosin. That's what, that's what rosin is basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd, if you know how that, how we discovered that I'd love to, I'd love to talk about that later on in the show, but that's one of the things I always wondered when I first watched your video, I was like, how the fuck did this guy figure this out? Like you had a hair oh, yeah. straightener. So, yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. It was definitely the, the community. You know what I mean? Like in that way, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful to just the people in the, uh, you know, IRL and online cannabis communities, because this was a time before the, you know, the real sort of, uh, you know, mainstream trend of weed started to pick up where things like dabbing, uh, you know, were much more kind of like, you know, low key and people were still really freaked out by them. I am convinced that most people, you know, like I think we in cannabis world think that dabbing is very ubiquitous because to us it is, but you know, like when regular people, even people who consume cannabis, come face to face with it. Like they're shocked by it. You know what I mean? Like still to this day, which is surprising me, people are like, there's a blowtorch. And I'm like, yeah, but doesn't mean people have been getting high this way for like a long time. Like, you know, I would say a lot of people have been getting high this way for like at least 12 years at this point. Right. Um, so, and it's been around since way before that. So yeah, man, it, it's, it's a really bizarre thing. Sorry. I lost track of the question. <laughs> what was it again? I was just going to say like, how the hell did people even figure out like that just press the combination of pressure and heat Yeah, exerts this oil? Like, yeah. How high I mean, it, <laughs> yeah. Although there is like, you know, some, uh, like ancient knowledge in that as well. Right. So like, you know, we're talking about collecting trichomes, which has been, you know, off a live plant, which has been done for thousands of years in yes. certain parts of the world. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I don't know the specific history of pressed hash specifically, but I can't imagine that this is the first time in history, in the history of human beings and cannabis that someone figured out that if you squeeze this shit, you know, uh, you know, it's really interesting. One of the earliest recorded accounts of any sort of cannabis consumption is Herodotus, right? The Greek historian who wrote about the Scythians, right? Scythians or Scythians, I'm not sure which one's uh, correct, but uh, you know, this is the like sort of horseback riding tribes of uh, Central Asia, right? Many thousands of years ago. And he described them, you know, throwing what he called hemp seed, cannabis seed onto hot coals, like inside a cave, uh, you know, which was most likely balls of cannabis vapor, because as you know, you can throw a whole fucking, you know, a ton of seeds onto the fire. Yeah. It's, it's just going to make you cough and smell disgusting. Right. Uh, and I do believe the Scythians knew that. And so, you know, it's like they're throwing balls of something that look like hemp seed to Herodotus, perhaps it's pretty likely that that's collected finger hash or something like that. Right. Uh, because, you know, they've also discovered that, you know, in Scythian burial sites and in cave sites, you know, uh, they find uh, the residue of, you know, degraded cannabinoids on the, on the stones and shit like that. 
it's it's pretty fascinating. That's old school. You know, <laughs> that's like ten thousand year old dabbing. Yeah. Well, we'll get into this, but for I wanted to plug it right up front. I mean, we've got the links, as I mentioned at the top of the show, in the show notes. But the reason, if people are wondering why you're so versed in cannabis history, is because you literally have a podcast called The Greatest Moments in Weed History. <laughs> yeah, so. Great Moments in Weed History. Uh, myself and David Bienenstock, who's a longtime cannabis journalist, a really you know committed voice uh, for untold stories in cannabis, uh, you know, and in subculture in general. But of course, you know, he and I both have focused on cannabis for a long time. He's somebody that I met early on when I transitioned from music journalism to cannabis journalism. I started out as a music journalist, uh, and then kind of discovered this whole world of cannabis that I found so inspiring. I've always been a stoner, always smoked a lot of weed, always had, uh, you know, a fire in my belly in terms of the injustice around cannabis prohibition. Right. But, uh, I had never really channeled that in the same way. And, you know, that was when I started weed it, I really was able to channel it for the first time. And then I met Bean and stock shortly after that. And we've just been, you know, always, uh, known each other, worked together a lot. He was a producer on Bong Appetit as well. Uh, you know, so yeah, we got together and did this show. We started it. I mean, it's crazy. 2018. So four years ago, I don't know how many episodes we've done at this point, a lot. Uh, and we've covered all different points in history. So there's a lot of like more splashy stories that are like Bob Dylan smoking out the Beatles for the first time, which actually we interviewed David Crosby on one of our episodes and he disputes that story. So, you know, uh, history is told by the victors. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I think David Crosby is a winner of history. Uh, the fact that that guy's still alive after all the drugs he did this is a fucking miracle, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, and then there's also stories of activism, you know, stories that are not necessarily so flashy, but they're about the struggle for, uh, you know, uh, reasonable, uh, you know, uh, what do you want to say? Decriminalization essentially. Right. Yeah. So like, um, there's a lot of different stories. You know, we have one that takes place in an Indian reservation, right? Like where the rules are a little bit different. Uh, you know, we've done a couple different ones about the sort of forging of prop two one five America's first medical cannabis bill. And we've gone all the way back to like the biblical times, like, you know, and talked about the recipe for cannabis tincture in the Bible. It's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, and it's pretty convincing. I would say that's the one, probably the one that leans closest to like, uh, you know, some sort of like uh, sensational hypothesis uh, because we're sort of having fun with it, which we do with every, every story, but there is also a lot of, you know, we're both journalists. So there's a lot rooted in our, you know, in our journalism, uh, but we're certainly not above giving our opinions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why I love the show. And I've got a few things, a uh, few moments in weed history to, to ask you about later on in the Please. show. But I, yeah. I wanted to ask you, um, you know, I was looking at some interviews that you've done in the past. And one of the things that um, stood out to me is that you said that throughout it all, writing and journalism has been a has been a consistent. And so I wanted to ask you. How did you get into writing in journalism uh, yeah. or just That's writing? Good in question. General? Yeah. So I actually, I've always loved to write. I never thought about it as a profession. Uh, I went to college for business because I was, you know, my parents are Pakistani. I'm first generation. Uh, you know, my mom was like, oh, well, he's creative. 
right? So how do we, uh, you know, apply that to a good college degree that'll get you a good job? And, you know, we thought like, oh, marketing will be a good idea. And, you know, I got to college and realized that it was a real bummer, you know, major. It was, you know, I, I got through it and I had a good time in college, right? But it wasn't because of like, you know, the classes I was taking. And I took a couple of like kind of writing classes and I really liked it, you know, and I had been good at it since I was a kid. Uh, and then I graduated from college and like, you know, it's like a whole uh, bunch of shit happened. But I basically, as a result of a couple of, you know, accidents, incidents, I had my shoulder was all jacked up. My knee was all jacked up. I needed surgery, all this shit. Right. Uh, and so like, I couldn't really go interview for jobs. Also, this was like getting into 2008, graduated 2007, hard to find a job. 2008, the recession happens. Uh, and suddenly, you know, I'm shit out of luck. And I found an ad in like the bathroom at Temple University where I went to school. Can't remember when in the timeline, but it was like, you know, looking for uh, reviewers for mixtapes. And I've been a musician my whole life, DJ, you know, played drums in a lot of bands and, you know, also have like produced and rapped and done all that stuff. Uh, it's like, you know, really one of my true passions, you know? So I hit them up and I was like, I'll write some reviews. And, you know, it was just stuff for free generating clips i did a decent job they asked me to you know be the music editor threw me a few bucks to you know put together a review section uh for their magazine their magazine you know caught a moment uh for like a year or so so you know i managed to get some decent clips decent interviews and then uh i started a blog called adventures in pork where, you know, I was like, you know, I, I had never eaten pork until I was like 25. So I like started trying different stuff and writing about it. Um, and that got me the cover story in the Philadelphia Weekly. And then I also that, you know, after I got that, I was like, oh, yo, uh, let me, uh, you know, uh, let me write for you guys. You know, let, let me write for your nightlife section or whatever it is. And so that it kind of from there on it became my job because i used those clips to hit up other people say oh do you need you know i uh you know a writer for whatever for copy or for articles you know web stuff and i made a decent living doing that at the time in philadelphia um and then i got a job doing it in new york at mtv which was pretty short-lived i got fired after like six months uh and then i found a, a gig at vice i i i uh, worked my way into a column advice. I met one of the editors, talked to him about it and managed to get a column and then worked my way to a staff job there. And, you know, basically was doing music journalism. Actually in that phase, I got to interview like a lot of my heroes, LP, DJ shadow, Zach Hill, kid koala, like all these dudes that were like, grew up, you know, listening to their music and really sort of idolizing them as a musician, you know? Uh, and I was like, oh, wow, this is cool. I get to do it. And I thought that that was going to be my career. I thought that was like the, you know, the best fucking thing that could happen. Um, but then when the cannabis stuff, you know, uh, became like a part of my life in a big way, I just, you know, leaned into it, man. You know, like it's, it is, uh, it just felt much more natural. I'm still like, you know, music is a very important part of my life. Of course, I do a radio show called Abdullah's Radio Show. So anybody listening, go on Spotify look up a Bill's radio show. I just dropped an episode. It's like, you know, it's good. It's I'm telling you, it's like one of the best things I can learn. Uh, and one of the least listened to, you know, in a lot of ways, but it can be somewhat esoteric, but yeah. So, you know, uh, 
after that, I went from writing to TV production, hosting and stuff. And, you know, after Vice, I, you know, tried to get into that, uh, you know, and I did a few random hosting jobs and stuff. But honestly, like once again, it comes full circle because now I work primarily as a screenwriter. So, you know, I wrote a film, I co-wrote a film for Searchlight, like, you know, over the last three years or so. Uh, and you know, I, I wrote a pilot that's at Hulu right now. You know, it's like, I'm just kind of like doing the grind as a screenwriter. Uh, and honestly, like, that's what I like doing the best. I like just writing journalism was really fun. I more recently did some stuff for KCRW here in LA, really proud of that work, but, um, journalism doesn't like get me going the same way as you know, screenwriting these days. That's the thing that's like, you know, I get excited by, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool though. That like, and it's also like, I relate to you in different ways where like at certain points in my life, I'm like, this is exactly what I want to do for the rest of my life. And then a new thing comes in and you're like, Oh, and you follow that. And that's, that's, that's super cool to hear. And I, like you mentioned earlier, I think most people would be, a lot of people seem to be familiar with your time at vice. Um, your time at vice coincided with my formidable years, uh, where I was, uh, kind of developing my thoughts on drug policy and, um, yeah, yeah. I never, I never really knew what somebody like you would think about that because it's like the, (laughs) the idea that, that a, you know, a teenage kid basically was, was Mm. learning about it. But I feel like that's great, um, man. I mean, like, that's honestly like, that's the whole idea was to reach people like yourself. You know what I mean? In, in terms of uh, just using logic to be like, Hey, look, think about it this way. You know, you live in nature. Why would the, who decides what is good and bad and where's the line? What the fuck does that all mean? You know what I mean? Like, exactly. I, I think those are important questions for everybody. Yeah. Fuck yeah, man. I'm very glad to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And in a similar way, this is something that you mentioned uh, in in an interview that I saw that it sounds like we had a similar experience where we realized like our parents necessarily didn't didn't necessarily agree with the decisions we were making. But slowly but surely, the rest of the world came along with us. And it was that weird situation (laughs) where we're like, Mom, like the rest of the world is coming around to this. What's up? You know, so it's it's not talked about enough how uh you know how we told them so you know it's like i feel like that's such a funny thing and of course like no one's trying to get over on their parents you know i'm very happy that my mom is dancing she's proud of me and you know like to me that's more important than being like i fucking told you you know what i mean but i did fucking tell you you know yeah like we all did and it's it's kind of like i feel like uh, you know, we don't really take much time to appreciate that. Right. Where it's like, Oh wow. Yeah. Holy shit. I was a criminal. I was considered a criminal in high school. People were like, that kid is like a druggy criminal kid. Yeah. Because I was into like psychedelics and weed and music and music that was offensive to people in some way. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, no, I mean, th- that's so crazy because I went through the same exact thing. And like, this sounds like a joke, but I shit you not. I remember my principal teach sitting me down because mm-hmm. somehow it came to his attention that I smoked. And he said, look, I've seen this with kids, so many kids. You're, mm-hmm. you're going to you're going to get involved with the wrong group 
And before you know it, you're going to be sucking dick for drugs. That's what he told me. <laughs> you no should have been like, yeah, what if that's what I'm into, man? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly. so funny, man. Well, Crazy. hey, yeah, no, it's of course, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I, I was going to say that, you know, I know that I've come to understand that vice may not have been the best place to work at. However, how do you look back at that time? Like it, it really did seem yeah. like a watershed moment for cannabis in the media. You oh know? yeah, man. And you know, like, honestly, I look back at the stuff that I made there, my experience at that company, uh, it was an exciting time. I'm so like, you know, stoked that I was able to cover the type of stuff I was covering at a place where that, that actually was, you know, encouraged and, and, and it mattered. Um, and I had a really good time doing it. You know what I mean? I, I, I can't remember, uh, you know, okay. Yeah, sure. There were some shoots that were like excruciating or whatever. Right. But overall looking back, like the amount of experience that I got, uh, and also the fact that a guy like me would never have ended up on TV unless a place as weird as vice, you know, uh, was, was going to buy a fucking TV channel against all odds. Right. Um, so in that way, you know, and I made a lot of friends, there are people I'm still friends with today. Uh, and you know, it shaped my experience. It, it gave me an interesting angle in and yeah, you know, it was a place for weirdos that, uh, you know, didn't fit anywhere else. And, and I uh, appreciate it for that. Uh, that said, you know, it's a lot of nostalgia, uh, especially because I've, you know, moved away from it. When I first quit from vice, I felt super like betrayed that I hadn't been, you know, treated like more of an asset. Uh, you know what I mean? And then beyond that, you know, I had experienced what I, you know, interpreted as being discriminated against in some ways, right? Being like, oh, I see that everybody at the big boy table is white, right? Uh, and I have accomplished just as much, you know what I mean? I'm like making the shit that the people are consuming and watching. And yet I'm still like, you know, at the kitty table or whatever, you know, and I think that everybody in their job or career, whatever it is, can relate to that. Right. And looking back, I'm like, you know, like it's, it wasn't this like crazy, Oh my God, this fucking place, you know, this situation, uh, you know, it was like, I was dealing with struggles that everyone else dealt with, but then at a certain point it became clear that other people's experiences were saying that, Oh no, the discrimination thing here is systemic. The treatment of women here, you know, the poor treatment of women here is systemic. Uh, and it started coming to light more, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, it's like when I was at Vice, that, it was not a weedy place, man. Me and, like, one video editor who knows who she is and, like, a couple other people smoked weed, like, you know, while we were at the office, you know what I mean? Or whatever, would step by, hey, whatever, let's smoke some weed. Vice was a very alcohol-forward uh, workplace, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and that was what more people were, oh, my cats are like going crazy. More people were into, but I wasn't doing that. I literally would go home from work and hang out with the people that I, you know, smoke weed with and shit and kind of did my own thing. I, I feel like in a lot of ways I was outside of the, you know, the, the real social structure of vice, even though I was making a lot of the shit that people saw. Right. And beyond that, as a weed person, I had also come to a point where they weren't letting us make it the way that you or I or any weed person listening would want it to be made. Like, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you only did 30 episodes and you love ones that coming back, whatever, right? 
I'm like, it's not coming back because what happened was we were able to make it the way we were making it pre prop 64. So two and five era, a little bit looser, you know what I'm saying? And you could have more weed arguably. And it's not that big a deal. They wanted me to do a season with less weed, a 10th of the weed. No, <laughs> I wasn't going to do that. That was the, the whole thing. The whole like beating heart of the show was the weed pantry and the right. idea that I lived in this house with my homie, it was like a fucking weed scientist, and how we have access to his pantry, which was true. We lived in that fucking house while we were shooting. We got high as motherfuckers. It was like, it was the experience, and it was the freedom we had to do it that made it so good, you know? So seeing all of those things happen together, it ruined Vice for me. It also ruined Vice for a lot of other people, and perhaps it'll just never be the same, right? But I definitely look back on those days uh, and, you know, I have a lot of fun memories of making that stuff. You know what I mean? We had a lot of fun making Bong Appetit, making Vice Does America, my show that I did that was awesome that like, no one ever saw. Uh, and, you know, doing all the YouTube documentaries I did. I mean, yeah, it was, it was a good time, man. And I'm proud of that work, especially Mad Honey. Mad Honey remains the thing I've done that I'm the most proud of. Uh, and you know, if you're listening and you haven't seen any of my stuff, go to YouTube and search for mad honey and watch that as it's still, it warms my heart to this day. Yeah. It's a crazy story. Definitely recommend that. <laughs> we'll have that uh, link in the show notes folks. If that makes it easier for you. Well, is this loud. I'm sorry. I'm scorching this nail. Oh, I, it's actually, it was at first, but it looks like your noise cancellation is working perfectly. So oh, uh, fuck not yeah, picking okay. up the torch at all. Yeah. It's so, that's amazing. <laughs> technology yeah, it, it knows it how to drown out the sound of a dab torch <laughs> think it, think if they, that was their pitch for the apple airpods they're like yeah so while you're on a podcast Honestly, that's a huge nail. sell yeah that's like <laughs> to have to do this like on zoom i have a zoom poker game with some homies and it's always like someone forgets to mute themselves while they're heating up their torch <laughs> yeah it sounds like an airplane taking off yeah <laughs> that's funny well hey uh, i you know you you host a podcast uh yeah. gr great moments in weed history do you realize have you ever really thought about the fact that you are very much a part of cannabis history <laughs> yeah it, it's funny like when i first got into cannabis journalism uh i was like wow i feel so destined to do this because I happen to love this plant and feel a certain way about it. And I also happen to live at this time when it's in transition. And I also happen to be in a, in a position where I can help in my little way to turn the wheel. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so in that way, I'm, I'm super, you know, uh, feel super blessed to, to have done that because honestly, I feel like a lot of people go through their lives and don't know what their purpose is, you know? But I really, uh, you know, and I, I want to do more in, in different ways and, you know, continue the, uh, you know, the, the heart of, of what I've done with cannabis and my other work. Right. But it is like it'll always be so special to me. And, you know, I, I'm always like, OK, like, you know, at least I, I can say I did something. I can say I helped, you know, uh, be part of a movement that's really important to me. It's close to my heart. Right. So yeah. in that way, I'm like. Cheers to that. Yeah, as far as far as being a part of the history, I don't know. That, that's a crazy thing I haven't really thought about. Let's see who it is, right? I mean, the funny thing is they'll be like at some point in a cannabis media class somewhere, right? They'll be like, so like 
before weed became, you know, the main cash crop of like the entire developed world, it was illegal. And then, you yeah. know, there happened to be, it'll be, I feel like if I get one blurb in a thing that was like, there were TV shows about cannabis like this one. And it's like a little right. blurb about Bacchanty. That would be cool there. I, I think that in terms of literally being a tiny little graphic in a history book about cannabis media or about cannabis, like the, I'd settle for that. See, and I, that's, that was the spirit of my question. Cause I truly believe that will happen because when you think <laughs> about cannabis in the media, we've got this, this landscape of mostly reefer madness. I mean, we've got plenty of examples we can point to with reefer madness and dare oh, education yeah. that they've created, but know, you were right? one of the first pieces of media, which you've admitted it's hard to remove bias from any coverage. It's something that I'm guilty of. And you've, you've oh, yeah. pointed out that I think everybody it's impossible to, to not be subjective, right. To, Absolutely. to be completely objective. And we're I'm, subjective beings, man. You know? Yeah. yeah. But, but to that point, I feel like you, you did give, it was one of the first neutral, you know, looks at cannabis. Like, of course you were pro cannabis and that was mixed in. But at the end of right. the day, it was more, it was actually normalizing it. I like the pantry in and of itself was part of normalizing it. I feel like it was a symbol of I like, like Hey, that, yeah. this is a pantry in our house and it holds things just like, uh, you know, all of our yeah. yeah type of thing. Sorry. I'm having exactly. trouble saying, what I'm, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I totally feel you, man. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it is like, you know, that was the ethos behind the show when they were like, okay, do bong appetit for television. Right. Cause of course it was a web series first. They were like, you know, what's the, what's the shape of this thing. And I was like, I like the idea that I'm in, I'm in this house. This is my fantasy world where cannabis is just not only, you know, no big deal. It's just ubiquitous. It's just like water. It's everywhere, you know? And that, you know, we're past, we don't really talk about upfront about legalization or about, you know, like anything like that, but we talk about how it's a plant medicine, how it's an ingredient, how it has these different parts, you know, break it down scientifically. And in that way, demystify it to a lot of people and also beyond that the dinner party thing right allows it to be visual because here's the thing man when they did the weed it Get series on vice the thing i noticed was that visually it's actually kind of kind of uh monotone because people think that oh this guy's got a ten thousand uh plant farm you know like up in oregon let's go see that it's gonna be crazy we're gonna film it's gonna look nuts you know what that looks like? It looks like a giant fucking greenhouse filled with green stuff, right? And from like a visual perspective, that's not that exciting. And to do like 10, 12, 16 episodes of something that's like, like every episode, that's the main vis visual element is weed up close, weed from far away. Weed up close, weed from far away. That's boring, you know? In Bong Appetit, we had the opportunity to use food. Food is beautiful. There's an entire fucking multiple TV networks dedicated just to the visualization of food, right? So, like, you know, to include cannabis as a food, something in a format that's already familiar to people, you know, you sort of ease them towards understanding something a little more than they did. And that was the best thing for me was people being like, oh, I watch it with my dad. I watch it with my mom. You know what I mean? And it's helped me explain to them that cannabis is not a poison or, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Oh shit! Sorry, I'm uh, muted. 
Oh, there you <laughs> I was go. muted. Yeah, that, that's me being high, uh, forgetting that there's a mute button. My apologies there. Oh, good, um, bro. Yeah, it's it's. I really think that you you know you might look at it as a little blip, and um, but I really think that because it's like our first foray into cannabis, just being in the media as a normal. I really do think that that as a society, it'll be something that as long as folks remember it, we will point back and be like, that was the first because it because it was That's you know? cool. I, I hope so. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I really do. And, you know, uh, shouts to all the other shows that, you know, have been on it from the beginning. There's only a handful, but it's, you know, uh, it's crazy to me that we don't see more shows in that vein now that have, you know, have a little bit more of a left of center take, but you know, seems TV like we've taken a, an animal. Yeah. Exactly. I was going to say, you know, I was going to, my take was going to be, it seems like we've stepped a, a few steps back, but TV's just, it changed so, so much, even in your time being on TV. Like that yeah. was a really, it's almost like I heard you talking about the beginning days of music and how Napster and how that shook everything up. Like when you were in TV, it's kind of the same thing except for TV because that's when streaming and, and everything started to get a little weird, you know? Yeah. Um, the, it, yeah. It, it was an interesting time actually. Like, you know, for me, it was coming from the perspective of like digital media, right? Cause I was a person making video and editorial content yeah. for a digital platform for a website, which is now it sounds like so ancient to think that someone would go <laughs> right. to like vice.com. You know what I mean? And and read through articles or whatever. And then like Vice released the mobile app too, but who the fuck is going to read that, you know? So like, it was a time when this was all different. You know, I feel like now we're, we live in like a time of rapid bubbles, you know? Uh, and at the time, I feel like there was a real miscalculation of how much digital content is worth based on the amount of eyeballs that are on it and how much action those eyeballs are going to take, you know, to actually buying something from the advertisers, right? Like that, that's really, I think was at the crux of it. Vice famously fudged all their numbers. Like I, like vice was actually not competing with places like Buzzfeed or, you know, like Gawker or places that were doing like super viral content, like viral first content, uh, virality first content, if you will. Uh, but you know, and vice was trying to make like edgy, you know, kind of clickbaity stuff. I think in retrospect, you could say that, you know, saying like we did, you know, llama yeah. cocaine on the top of whatever, you know what I mean? Like Machu Picchu. That's like, uh, that's like it's clickbait essentially, even if you're actually doing it or you did a video to justify saying that that's what you're doing, you know? Uh, I feel like it was that time, you know? And I worked for a couple different places, you know, like I did stuff for Mike.com, which doesn't like, exist anymore. Uh, and I did some stuff for HighTimes.com. You know, this is interesting. Like High Times has always been, you know, kind of like slow to adapt to the changing landscape of cannabis media. Uh, I feel like they missed a really big opportunity, you know, in, in the last 10 years to become a serious, you know, cannabis media um, megalith, you know what I'm saying? But, um, yeah, it, like, you know, they, they didn't really do it. Uh, and it all kind of fell to pieces, man. I, I feel like, you know, like when I first came to L.A. five years ago, in my, like, stack of pitches, I had digital content pitches. I was like, oh, this is short-form digital stuff, 
you know, uh, because there was an assumption that you could get a brand to pay for that, you know, and make it. And I was like, I've done lots of that advice and whatever else, you know? So like, can we make that kind of stuff? You know, can I get this show made? There's no, there's no market for that. You know what I mean? Like it's, I think that whole thing is broken. People just make content themselves on their phone. And then there's like movies and TV shows that are being made by the streamers, you know, and there's not really an in-between, you know what I'm saying? I guess people are like watching Twitch or whatever. Uh, But you know, that that even like, you know, you were, uh, you pulled up that smokables video, like, what would this, what would the space be for those videos today? It wouldn't be YouTube. It would be on TikTok, and it would only be on TikTok. No one would give a shit if it's on a fucking vice website or whatever. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, it's interesting times, you know, like now I'm in such a long lead type of work, you know? And to me, the script itself is that's my job. That's like, you know, that's what I look at as a finished piece of my work nowadays you know what i mean yeah. um and it's i like it because it's kind of meditative uh, you're not chasing traffic you're not chasing uh you know uh eyeballs or something like that you're just trying to make something you write, write something compelling you know and in that way it's like in that way it is uh you know i used to be able to do journalism at a place like vice or elsewhere that was really, you know, like thought out and smart and in my voice and, and whatever. Right. But, uh, at a certain point that disappeared, you know what I mean? And I feel like in, in podcasting, for example, I've been able to like really keep my voice going, you know, like cultivate a new audience, uh, with great moments and the other stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, let's, let's get into what I think will be the spiciest part of the podcast. And it has a little bit to do with weed people in weed history. Um, yeah. the, the first one's an easy question that I'm just kind of curious on. Cause I kind of let us here. I consider you, uh, a figure and, and weed history. Um, do yes. you have any heroes? Like, do do you have any, but I know that for a while, uh, that part of your podcast is talking about some of the heroes in cannabis history. So this might be a really easy question for you to answer, but yeah, hmm. curious. interesting. Uh, and you know, like looking at the show specifically, some people that pop into mind are like Phila Cootie, for example, you know, uh, he has a really crazy story. And this is somebody who, you know, stood up for, uh, you know, his, his right, everybody's right to possess, to use cannabis, uh, in like, you know, against the most fucking daunting odds, you know, but I think that's what makes him like a superhero. That That's really was a special episode for that reason. Um, hmm, let's see who else really sticks out in my mind. Um, you know, like the, the Cheech and Chong thing is, is, is the episode we did, which was about the making of up and smoke was also, you know, really special to me because like these guys were doing this stuff when it was very subversive, you know, it's like doing drug humor as kind of, you know, uh, kind of like childish as it might seem now when we look back, we're like, Oh, well back then they like invented that vibe. You know what I mean? That's why it feels played out because everyone has copied that vibe right. and copied the copies and copies and copies and copies, you know? So like, yeah. you know, it, it is like that thing. I remember posting like art by Kenny Sharp and some person was like, I could do better shit than that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, but it's like he invented, 
invented this whole fucking thing. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it, you think it's corny or whatever because it's, everything is based on it. Everything's ripping it off. Bingo. Whatever, right. So, 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 you know, like in that, um, okay. Who, who else, uh, who else pops it? That was a good choice, by the way, I would have picked uh, Cheech and Chong as well. They definitely, yeah, moved the yeah. they definitely moved the needle, man. I mean, yeah, yeah, they really did, man. And you know, like uh, Cheech is still doing his thing. Uh, you know, I live in Southern California. I listen to public radio and I, I I've heard, you know, there's like a Cheech Marin center now in East LA or something. You know what I mean? Like he's cool as shit. Like, you know, he's, uh, he really reps East LA. Uh, he, he's a real badass and he beat Anderson Cooper on celebrity jeopardy. Uh, we've actually <laughs> talked about this on the show, uh, ever so briefly, it deserves its own full episode, but he beat Anderson Cooper on jeopardy. And then Anderson Cooper had him come on his own show and, they replayed it and Anderson Cooper like rigged it for himself to win and then had his own staff give him a trophy. It's Anderson Cooper's a fucking chump, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, anyhow. <laughs> cool. Well, I feel like we, we definitely named off a few of those, a few of those people. So uh, I just got to say really quick, just cause we were talking about people in the media, your co-host went on Fox news recently. Uh, I say recently, I think it was actually, it was a couple a of years ago. We yeah. reposted it recently when Tucker Carlson was in that's, the news. That's why I saw it again. Uh, yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. he's doing he's doing the high potency cannabis uh, yeah. thing again. Yeah, yeah. So Beanstalk has been a go to like you know cannabis source talking head for like a bunch of different TV shows. I mean, literally the first ever weed get the one I did that's on YouTube. It's called Intro to BHO. Uh, you know, he's a talking head in that. That was like the first thing we did together. He's like, you know, because he has an authoritative, uh, you know, voice and, and a good knowledge of the stuff. So, you know, he's ended up on a lot of different shit. And I guess Fox News was like, okay, this is the guy we're going to put on, uh -huh. right? Um, and I'm never sure what they're going for. I feel like maybe they're like, oh, let's get somebody that like Tucker can really beat up on or stooge yeah. or whatever. But you know, Beanstalk really held his shit, Dude. you know. Uh, yeah, which was which is pretty gangster. And I remember when it was happening too. It was like, damn, you know, it's like you gotta, you're about to represent uh, cannabis in the belly of the beast at the time, anyway. You know, because I feel time, like maybe yeah. now Republicans are a little more okay with weed because they see the tax revenue or whatever. A little more, but you see that you see that talking point keep popping up. The the high potency weed and are the you remember for a time they were asking if the shootings were being caused by weed and it was just by high oh, potency. They asked that? Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Laura Ingram and um uh oh, yeah, of course. Dr. Carlson, they they all went on that. And one of the things you pointed out at the beginning of the show is that for as long as we've interacted with the cannabis plant. We have made hash, which is concentrated cannabis. Yeah. I've always just tried to make the point, honestly, like, yes, we have dabs and everything, but I really don't think that cannabis is any more potent today than it, than it was ever. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I don't think we've really, like, I'm, I'm not going to set aside that live rosin is definitely revolutionary, definitely oh, yeah. a great way to consume, but is it like earth shattering revolutionary? Dude, we're talking yeah. about a plant that if you eat like a thumbnail size of it, you'll fucking trip out, right? 
And if you eat two thumbnails, like you'll probably throw up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, it, it's a drug that no one's ever overdosed on. Right. And, or no, sorry, no one's ever died from the overdose on, because believe me, I've overdosed on weed. Yeah. I was uh, going to say, I, mean, yeah, I can definitely I, take too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but, but of course, like, that's the nice thing about it is that right. it's not going to kill you. Right. It, yes. it might, if you overdo it a little bit, you, it might make you fall asleep or you might feel sick or whatever, your body will purge it and then you'll be fine right so in terms of that when they say like the high potency weed there's you you could get just as high a thousand years ago by eating two fucking fingernail size of hash you know what i'm saying like uh any hash moroccan hash you know like uh, indian hash whatever it is like you know stuff that's been produced for since time immemorial right the tiniest amount of it consumed orally will get you higher than fucking anything Higher than if I sit, sit here and dab an entire gram of live rosin. You know what I'm saying? If you if you eat like a fucking gram of, uh, you know, decarboxylated weed or not, yeah. you'll get high as fuck, right? So like in that, it's, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just one of those things. They're like totally gaslighting the powerful pot thing. They always say like power pot. No, man, it's not true. There's, if you talk to old heads, they will be like that fucking tie stick weed or whatever Colombian weed from back in the day, Hawaiian weed from back in the day is fucking stupid, crazy good weed. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. And, and this happened back in the day where they were like, oh, the hydroponic weed. It's a new thing. And all it does is look kind of crazy, right? Right. A hydroponic grow just looks a little crazy. Like that's that's it. Same with like a dab rig. They're mm -hmm. like, people are smoking power pot and it's like, there's a blowtorch and it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like, he's just smoking weed. It just looks kind of crazy. It's not, you know what I'm saying? It's like if you're drinking, right. if you're drinking whiskey out of like a skull glass, yes. it's like, oh, people are drinking skull juice. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> that thing. It's, you can sensationalize anything. Uh, anyway, I probably got about 10 minutes uh, okay, before cool. I got a dip, but yeah. Cool. Well, we'll wrap up with this. Where do you think we stand now in weed history? What What yeah. do you think about like I'm specifically because if you can tell that's a loaded question, I'll just get to the point. The corporatization of cannabis. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's kind of like scary, predictable, right? I, I yeah. think that that's the craziest thing about it because for a long time, you know, Bean and I talk about this all the time on the show. We hope that cannabis would change capitalism, right? And not the other way around. But also now looking back, I'm like, what the fuck made us believe that? Why? Right. <laughs> capitalism is the most powerful machine in human history. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it created the prohibition of cannabis, which literally like brainwashed billions of people. I don't know how we expected, uh, you know, things to go smoothly. But also I do think that over time things correct themselves uh, because you know, we are talking about, you know, a market where the most cannabis is purchased by a handful of really avid consumers who are very, very picky about what they consume. That's going to save us. That's going to be the saving grace. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, it, you know, if, if, if I could get fresh fucking rosin at a dispensary, for like you know a reasonable price right uh the the whole fucking black market in california would collapse 
Yeah. <laughs> not because not because of me individually. I'm saying because of people like <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Like it's <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it is like you, you know what I'm saying? Because th- that really is uh the thing is they're not looking, man, at what right. the fucking customer wants. Thank you, you cannot run a market like that. And I'm saying like I'm trying to put this in terms of the capitalists, right? If you ask me. We should all be home growing and the government should fucking supply you with soil and nutrients and, you know, organic growing materials. And everyone should have access to a community garden where they can grow their own fucking 60 plants, not six, you know what I'm saying? Or or whatever, whatever it might be. Um, But to put it in the terms of, you know, capitalism, right? People are going to spend good money on good ass motherfucking weed the first priority should be make the weed really good that means don't create a massive barrier to entry for people who have a criminal record don't create a massive barrier of entry for people who uh you know only had a you know a sort of flimsy um license before right who only had a prop 215 license and weren't able to get a prop 64 license whatever that might be because as soon as you make those people criminals again, they go right back to what they were before Prop 215. Because that's what we were all doing, man. I was a criminal when I was buying weed like that, right? And then I stopped being a criminal when they legalized it, right? But if you force me price-wise, right, and quality-wise to go to a quote-unquote like gray market, black market, unlicensed seller, right, Um. That's your fucking fault. Bitch, mm-hmm. sell, sell me what I want. You know exactly. what I'm saying? I'll, I'll go to the store every fucking day. You sell me what I want for the right price. So in that, I mean, it's like, I think it's very simple in a lot of places. I think that that's where we stand now is uh, a failure to communicate between, you know, the people creating the regulations, you know, the people trying to make the profit on cannabis and the people actually buying it. They have just scratched the surface. This is a so crazy thing to me. This is an entirely invisible market that suddenly became visible. And they're like, wow, we made a billion dollars. Amazing. And I'm like, you idiots, this market is a hundred billion dollars big. Are you fucking stupid? Like the black market is 10 times the size of the scratch that you're making in this fucking industry. We've been doing it this way for fucking a century. Why the hell would we suddenly change now? But, you know, in that way, it still frustrates me, but also... I think you have to be a little frustrated with the situation to demand change. And I guess I'm cursed to just keep demanding change for the rest of my life. (laughs) Yeah. Well, very well said. If I could put that in a bottle, I recently spoke to Tommy Chong and I asked him like when you were when you were doing the fight, the fighting, the fight that you were fighting, were you hoping that there would be stores with edibles and vapes and uh, lotions and everything else? Or were you simply hoping that you could do your comedy and live your life without having to worry about going to jail? I'm not saying that we wouldn't have also asked for a store, mm-hmm. but it does, it, it does seem like we lost our way, you know, cause people continue to go to jail for cannabis possession alone, even in yeah. States that have legalized for exceeding their limit. But again, that's a, that's a bigger topic than we have time for. I want to thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's Abdullah. My pleasure, it, was, man. it was, it was really an honor. And um, I want to tell folks once again, to check out uh, your podcast. We've got links to the podcast, your social media and everything in the description. 
So folks, hope you found value in this episode of the Chillinoy podcast and uh, Abdullah, we'll, we'll stay in touch. And uh, thanks so much. Thank Listen you. to my radio show. People. I will. Listen to Abdullah's radio show on Spotify. I will, you know, um, we're, we're about to have some dinner, so I'll put that on in the background. <laughs> Beautiful. I just put up a new episode. Perfect. Well, once again, thank you for doing the work that you do. Uh, you, you know, in my book, you are one of the heroes. That's so. very, very nice of you. Thanks for having me, Cole. Yep. All right. See you, folks.